0: Today we continue our series on Accepted. We are trying to see what it is or who it is that God accepts. Are there certain requirements on us? Are there particular actions that we must take in order to be accepted by God? Last week we started with how many people can feel lost, like there is no place for them to belong, but God can repair this by inviting us in. He welcomes us in with love like the father of the prodigal son. I shared something, though, that has some of you uh, asking questions. I said, God's love is not dependent on our repentance. That might not sound quite right in your ears. So we are going to go back. We are going to look at the sweep of history and see if we can discern what religion is all about from the beginning of humanity to Jesus to us here today. Does God really love us even if we don't repent from our sin. Let's dive into our scripture for today from the Gospel of Matthew. Lisa is going to read for us from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13-17, through 17, the baptism of Jesus.
1: Then Jesus came from Galilee to
0: John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, And from isaiah chapter forty three eighteen through twenty one do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in our prayer preparation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And so if you've been watching the news this week you've heard about our escalating crisis with Iran. General Suleimani of Iran was killed by a US drone strike. Some have said this is good news because a person who was killing others in Iraq including US soldiers is now dead. Others disagree. They say we violated international law and killing people without going through the courts is an act of terrorism. As news reports came out and people argued both sides uh, of the debate, one thing was very clear to me. It's so easy for us to label people bad when they fight against our interests. Yet the opposite is true, too. We very quickly say people are good when they fight for my country or the things that I want. So Iran thinks the U.S. is wrong. The U.S. thinks Iran is wrong. And it leaves me wondering... In situations like these, who is right? It's amazing to me how our perspective, the way that we view a situation, can so radically change what we think about something. We seem so ready to say people and things are evil or demon-possessed. Is that really what's going on? Are people that don't think the way I do so awful... Are people who literally give their lives to see the world change for what they believe is right, good, or are they bad? I remember a trip I made once. Emily and I were dating at the time, and some of her friends wanted to go bowling. We lived in Philadelphia at the time, and all of her friends were from Pennsylvania. But for some reason, they decided they wanted to go bowling in South Jersey. They all took one car, Emily and I took another and this was before the days of GPS, so we didn't quite know where we were going. We just had an exit number and an instruction to turn right right there. Uh, That's it, and we drove on this highway at night out of the city and into South Jersey, and I thought to myself, we have surely passed a dozen bowling alleys getting out here. Uh, But we kept driving, and it kept getting darker. It was late at night, and it seemed like even the highway was getting darker. We went 15 minutes out of the city, then half an hour out of the city, and then finally 45 minutes. And I thought to myself, did we miss it? Is it possible we're really going this far for one bowling alley? Finally, we see the exit and we pull into the exit lane. But as I get there, it's really dark. I can't see anything and I'm driving slowly and suddenly I'm going through these lanes. I didn't realize it, but this was a toll exit. There were no people or lights, just these small little booths. So I stop, I put it in reverse, and I back up, and I pay the toll. And Emily, she starts ragging on me. She's, she knows that I'm going to be paying a fine for having driven through that toll before I, I paid the money. So I'm going to have to pay 50 bucks for a $0.50 cent toll. So I'm flustered. I'm mad. And we've driven so far, and now I have to pay this fine. So I pull up to the traffic light at the end of this exit lane. We're in the boonies. No cars are coming. I wait for a while and then decide to make a right on red. And Emily says, Brian, stop. And she points to a sign. It's covered in dirt. And you can barely, just barely make out what it says. It says, no right on red. So I stop. And wait, and wait, and wait. I'm still stewing from the fine, but I have now waited a full three minutes and the light has not changed, so I'm finally going to just go because the light isn't changing. It's four minutes now, and not a single car has driven past, so I turn despite the dirt-covered sign. And as I head down the street, what do I see? Sirens in my rearview mirror. A police car is behind me, so I pull off to the side of the road, and he follows me to the side of the road, and as we are waiting for the officer to come to the car, we notice what's across the street. It's the bowling alley. (laughs) We are literally pulled over in front of our destination. Now, the part that really stuck out for me this particular night was when the officer came to the car. He asked me if I had been drinking that night, and I said no, I hadn't. He pulled out... A mini flashlight and asked me to look straight ahead. So I tried my best to look right at him, even as he's waving this light right and left, nearly blinding me. Now I can tell he's annoyed with me, and he repeats for me to look straight ahead, but the same thing happens. Then he tells me to get out of the car. Another officer has arrived at this point, and Emily, she's there waving to our friends in the bowling alley across the way. And he tells me I have to get out of the car, and uh, he starts asking me a bunch of questions. He's frisking me. He's making me walk the line over and over. Finally, they seem to just give up on me and write me a ticket and send me off 10 feet to the bowling alley. Uh, But after I was back in the car and reflected on this whole thing, I realized something. The whole time, I thought this officer was being rude. I thought he was overly aggressive towards me i thought he was a bad cop but when the officer told me to look him directly in the eye i think as i reflect on it i think he simply misspoke typically an officer will tell you to follow the light with your eyes keep your head straight but follow the light right i think he just said the wrong thing in that moment i was confused And he thought I must have been drunk or maybe something else. It would be so easy to label this officer as a bad guy because of how he escalated things. But when I step back, I see something else. I see how our mindsets can have a profound impact on how things play out. I was too worried about disobeying the officer to even ask him to clarify what he was saying. He probably assumed a thing or two about this young kid driving late at night with his girlfriend. I probably just should have showed him my seminary ID, but the point is we bring our perspective to things, and it can make us judge things good and bad inaccurately. Now, I want to step back and look at the whole sweep of the scriptures. I want you to think about what is good and bad as we go from Genesis to Revelation. The story, of course, starts with creation. God has made everything and declares it good, right? God rests and then the people are tempted by the serpent. They do what God said not to do and are ejected from the garden. The population grows. People continue to offend God, and he is so grieved, he floods the earth. Only Noah and his family survives, and God makes a covenant with them to not destroy the earth again. Later, Abraham is called from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and goes to the land that later will be called Israel. God makes a covenant with him that he will be the father of the chosen ones of God. He has many sons who go to Egypt, raise their families. There there they have many descendants. Eventually, Egypt treats them not as citizens, but as slaves. Moses comes to lead them to their true homeland of Israel. They come to Israel, conquer the inhabitants, and live for a thousand years with kings and conquerors. Over and over, they experience a cycle of good and bad. Some leaders who honor God, others who reject him. In the good times, they feel like they are doing it right. In the bad, they say God is punishing them. But all along the way, it feels like things are not quite right. Even when things are good in the country, there are some among Israel who cheat and steal, when things are bad, are there not some in the country who are righteous? Things seem unfair. Why are all punished for the sins of a few? That's why this verse means so much. It's from Ezekiel 18:20. The person who sins, who sins, shall die. A child shall not suffer for the iniquity of a parent, nor a parent for the iniquity of a child. The righteousness of the righteous shall be his or her own and the wickedness of the wicked shall be his or her own this is a watershed moment it's not until at least 500 years after abraham that there is a huge shift in this religion from groups being guilty for things going bad to just the one individual who does something bad but that's not the end of the story Even with this massive change in who we see as guilty, who is a sinner, who is the bad guy, there is still a problem. In our Isaiah passage today, we read that God is going to do a new thing, and a river will spring out of the desert. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? God promises this amazing rescue, this incredible redemption. You are going to be desperate for water in the desert, and a river is just going to explode out of the ground to save you. But who is that water for? It says it's for my chosen people, and God's chosen people at this time are the Israelites, and just the Israelites. God is in the saving business, but only if you're Jewish. It just Doesn't seem right Another 500 years pass and jesus comes on the scene and he radically Breaks from all previous notions of what god wants and how god saves he says salvation doesn't come through being jewish It doesn't even come through repentance The jewish people were repenting all the time They would take an animal bring it to the temple and have the priest kill it as a reminder We typically think of blood as representing death, but it also can mean life, right? That's what it meant to the Jewish people. So they repented and used blood to remind themselves that God gives them this chance. They can live because God brings life. But it happened over and over, never really removing sin from the people, never moving beyond the nation of Israel. This sacrifice was never enough to stop the destruction happening across the world. So Jesus makes a new way in the desert. Jesus is ready to be baptized by John the Baptist. And what does John say? He says in Matthew 3.14, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. John knows Jesus is the boss, yet the master places himself below the other. He does this over and over, serving others, seeing others as they really are, when the world just ignores them. Jesus somehow has a radically different vision of the world. It's not about superiority. It's not about might or money. In fact, Jesus is consistently most upset with the religious leaders who had the power, but refuse to use it to benefit those who were most in need. Jesus says the whole system is broken because the system is not preparing us to be ready for God. Jesus used the same phrase as John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is near." But I think we get repentance all wrong. We keep thinking of it like the people 500 years before Jesus. Kill this animal. Remind yourselves that God is the source of life and go back to your lives. No, that's, that's not enough. Be ready for God everywhere, every time. What did Isaiah Forty-three, nineteen. 19, say, he said, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Even back then, God was doing something. God was changing the face of the earth. God was offering up living water to those who would otherwise die in the desert. And the word for our times is that God is still doing it. God is still at work. Do you not perceive it? Can you see God working in the life of that child that drives you crazy? You know, that coworker, the one you can't stand? God is doing something new in their life. Don't you see it? This church, which I know some of you love dearly, it has its warts, though. We struggle at times. People have been hurt by me or by others here. But God is doing a new thing. The water is springing up. The spirit is moving. The people you thought were the enemy, the ones you thought were the bad guys, God is moving among them. Do you see it? I was at a conference this week, and they shared something called The outward mindset. There's much I could say about it, but the point of it is this simple thing. In a moment, when we are confronted by conflict, struggles, people who challenge us, we have a simple choice to make. We can either see the other person as a person, just like you and me, who matters, who is loved by God, or we can see them as the enemy, as the bad guy. What's it going to be? When we love like God loves, it's going to change how we view others. It's going to change how we treat others. We won't try and be good or act nice because it's the right thing to do. We'll do it because we are ready for God. Do you see it? Let's end with a story. This is a video about a transformed life Someone who chose to stop seeing people and things around him as bad guys. So I invite you to take a look at the at the screen.
1: My dad's boss was a man that just caused you to feel angry all the time. And my dad was very angry. He took his anger out on animals. For example, he was... Re shoeing one of his horses, a 1200 pound horse, and I was holding the horse and he had just hammered in this nail and the horse jerked his foot and ripped his leg open. and he jumped and grabbed the rasp and hit that horse in the head and 1200 pounds dropped right there. and I thought he had killed it. I'd witnessed him doing this to animals, cows, sheep, horses, over and over again. And I always felt like I was the next one. We had 20 head of cows that we milked by hand, and we were out there milking the cows. And the cow next to mine switched her tail, and it was just long enough, and she had birds in the end of her tail and hit me right there in the eye. And I was sitting on a metal milk stool, and I jumped up, grabbed that milk stool, went around there, and said all the things that I'd heard my dad say, which were very profane. And I just, the cows were in the stanchion, and I just literally beat that cow almost to death. I realized that was his favorite cow and he's back there and I just started quivering all over because I knew that what was in for me and I waited and waited and waited and he didn't come and finally he came and sat right there and I witnessed one of the greatest blessings of my life my dad said Ivan Ivan If you'll stop, I'll stop. And from that moment on, I've never known a more gentle, helpful, kind human being. And at that point in his life, he drank alcohol, and he stopped all of that. And it took me literally months to realize I had witnessed one of the greatest miracles of of love possible. He loved me so much that in that instant, instant, he completely changed his life.
0: Will you see others as the bad guy? Or will you respond with love like this father for his son? Will you be changed so that you might be a blessing? What saves us is Christ who shows us what real love is, no matter what, no matter what we've done. Amen?